Brilliant. It's great to see you all. Uh, it's good to be together as we kind of head into the summer. Um, Andrew's going to stick up um, these, uh, I guess we've called them five values, but I think as has been helpfully said by people, we have lots of values as a church and we can uh, think about those. I, I guess so these are the five foundations, foundation stones that we feel as a church, um, we feel God's identified for us. These are kind of the roots on which God planted this church when I became kind of leader here five years ago when we started this new thing. These have become the five things that God said, this is who you are. This is who you're called to be. Uh, and uh, kind of in the new academic term, we're actually going to go through these in great, in kind of more detail and really pick them apart and really say, okay, what does it look like? What does it mean for us? Uh, last, uh, if you haven't listened to, there's a, the audio from, I think it may be three, four weeks ago, where it was the morning service, where I kind of whisked through these and gave a background to them. And I think a couple of weeks ago I preached particularly on apostolic community. And if you haven't listened to that, I'd encourage you to listen to it. Because rather than it just being a preach, it's really, I think, God's heart for us uh, and how God has stirred me in it and, and us as a kind of team, as a leadership. So if you haven't, that's a great way of perhaps catching up. And tonight I'm not going to particularly talk about one or one, or, uh, one of these. But I'm kind of, in, in many ways, I suppose I'm talking about the first two. Worship-centered Holy Spirit encounters, uh, and um, you know many of these they overlap, don't they? That's what we've been worshiping tonight. Why? Not because that's just what we do, but because we love Jesus and we love His presence. And God comes by His Holy Spirit when the people of God yield themselves to Him. So I guess in some ways I'm just going to leave those up. Particularly thinking, I guess tonight about worship-centered Holy Spirit encounters. <clears throat> so I want to ask a question: Whether you've ever had the experience? Um, of going looking for someone only to discover that they were looking for you and you kept missing each other. Um, or perhaps you were going to meet them some, and then you were late and you weren't sure if you had met them or you'd missed them, all that. I was thinking about this because a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I uh, had arranged to meet someone in a department store in London. Um, it was a kind of friend from this camp, a Christian camp that I'd been on, and we were kind of, they were coming down from one end of the country, and I was coming, I said, we'll meet in London. I got the train up. Um, to Victoria and we were going to meet at this really big department store in the West End and I said to them um, I'll meet you by the uh, kind of the main kind of bottom of the main entrance there there's an electrical bit there and we'll meet you there but then there's a cafe right at the top on the fifth floor and we can go and have coffee if you're super early go and have a coffee first um, and then I'll meet you at this time I think it was like 11 o'clock or something Um, those who know me know I usually arrive just about on time rushing Mark (laughs) Debbie went just a couple of seconds passed. Anyway, this day, weirdly, I was early, about five minutes early. And I got there and I thought, oh, they're not here. They'll probably be up in the cafe. So I kind of got on the escalators, which kind of went round and round and round and round and round. Got right to the top, looked in the cafe, and they weren't there. And by that point, the time had passed to when I should have been downstairs. And then I thought, do I go back down or do I go up there? What followed was 40 minutes of me going up and down, wondering whether they were in the opposite place to where I was. And so it turned out, the other person doing exactly the same. Because what made it worse was there were the escalators in the middle, but there was also a lift just over the other side that could take you up and down really quickly, plus a set of stairs. I went up the stairs, down the stairs, up the escalator, down the escalator. It was was kind of crazy. And it's deeply frustrating when you're looking for someone and you keep missing each other. And you're sure that they're probably in the other place to where you're not. Um, and I thought of that, that kind of, I was reminding that and chuckling to myself as I was reading this passage and thinking about this passage. 
particularly verses 41 and 42 from John's Gospel. The first person he found was his own brother Simon, and he says, we found the Messiah. Um, I don't know if any of you know Bishop Tom Wright. Um, he writes, it, it kind of, um, if he's writing a deeply theological book, it's signed as N.T. Wright, and if he's writing for others, <laughs> it's called Tom Wright in his book, but it's the same guy who was a, a bishop, and, and he's written many kind of um, commentaries and all sorts of things, and they're really quite often helpful. But in John for Everyone, written by Tom Wright, he says this, what Andrew and Simon Peter thought they were doing was looking for the Messiah. What they didn't realize was that the Messiah was looking for them. And I think, I think you know, Tom Wright's kind of nailed it here, and I'm sure many of us will identify that. We look for God, but actually God's looking for us. It's this kind of strange two-way deal. And we think we're searching for God, but the truth is, God was always looking and longing for us and searching for us. He's on drawing us into the journey. The difference is for me in that department store um, and for kind of the guys in our story, for Simon Peter, for Andrews, they were, they were looking for the Messiah. What they didn't realize is that he was looking for them. And, and actually, Jesus knows where we are all the time. That's the great comfort, that actually we may feel lost, but Jesus knows where we are. He knows where we are all the time. And I love this passage. It's just a passage that maybe is really, really familiar to us, but there's a lot in it I think God reminded me of for us to just think about tonight. Um, If you've spent any time looking at popular culture at the moment or TV shows, you know, all the proliferation of X Factor or um, what's the one with the chairs where they spin around? Voice. Yeah, Paul knew that. He's so down with the kids. Um, or, you know, all of the kind of the kind of talent shows or, you know, even the kind of horrendous things, um, Love Island, that I'm sure um, none of you watch. Uh, or, you know, the, all of those sort of social media pressure that people are under and actually a cursory glance at sports or pop music or kind of social media. One of the greatest desires of this generation, it seems, is to find significance or to find purpose, or to, find, to be noticed, to stand out from the crowd, to be liked, to be loved, to be famous, to be popular. You know, it is all about how many followers you have, how many likes you have. And sociologists would say, well, that's, there's something in this generation that people are longing for and struggling, struggling with significance and purpose. They're longing for it. And many people are feeling quite lost. You know, media will tell you fame is everything. As long as you're famous, it doesn't matter what for. As long as you're famous, then you have some sort of purpose and significance. Which is why, and the reason I say that is because I find, therefore, in the light of that, John, such a countercultural person. Because I'm sure people have always wanted significance. Humanity is looking for a purpose and, and reason for being. Um, I don't know if you've seen that T-shirt. It's probably a brilliant one for wives to wear. Um, and it just says, I'm with stupid. Have you seen it? I've seen, I've seen a few people walking down the street, you know, as a couple, and, and she's, she's wearing the T-shirt, and sure enough, looking at him sometimes, maybe it's true. If John the Baptist had a T-shirt, his one would have been, it's not about me. John constantly is saying, it's not about me. It's not about me. You know, he's, people are often saying, well, who, who are you? In, the, in John's Gospel, there's this kind of refrain, well, who is John the Baptist? Well, who are you? Who, who, who might he be? And he's constantly saying, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not one of the prophets, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of him who is to come. Again and again, he's pointing away from himself continually. He's always pointing 
beyond himself. And for Westerners, I think it's particularly true in the West, there's this breakdown in identity and purpose and who are we and why am I here and a fracture in perhaps family and society which has caused it. There's a, there's a longing for, for worth. There's a longing for self-esteem and of course people can find it in all, look for it in all the wrong places. But John the Baptist, he's not like that at all. He almost seems British. No, 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 it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. That kind of self-effacing thing. But in a, in a way, it's so much more whole than that. If John the Baptist had a social network page, it wouldn't be his picture, it would just be a kind of pointing finger, pointing away, because that's who he's pointing to. Whenever he testifies, he points at someone. He's a witness. He tells others what he's seen. He gives evidence on behalf of the one who sent him, pointing to the Lamb of God. And the whole, the whole passage, the whole text is a, a series of pointings. Twice in two days, John points to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one sent from God to save humanity. The second time, did you notice it? The second time, two of his own disciples, he points at Jesus and two of his, two of his own disciples go. They leave him and they start following Jesus. And later on, even when his own disciples come and, and actually they start complaining, it's really interesting, they're a bit cheesed off. Because obviously they really love John and they really respect him. He's really impressed them with his hairy overcoat and his locust eating and all the things he does. But they they, they love him. They're inspired by him. And they start complaining to him, saying, but Jesus has got more disciples now. He's got more followers. And what does John do? Well, he just continues to affirm that ministry of Jesus. And he sees it as a, a glorious thing rather than competition. And that should be our desire as church. You know, it's really interesting when a new church moves into town, you do see church leaders sometimes begin to bristle. And of course, church planting should always be done in a good way because we're not in competition. But sometimes church culture can get into, oh, they've got more people than us. Mm. We as a church, we want to say, Lord, let your church flourish. If the kingdom is being preached, that's what John says, if the kingdom is advancing, then Lord more. So that's why we pray for Wickham Baptist. That's why we pray for freedom. That's why we pray for Vineyard. That's why we pray for Holy Trinity Coombe Down. That's why we pray for the church in our city, that they might be blessed. Is that a good thing to do? It's a really good thing to do. Because it's the bride of Christ in our city. And if the bride grows and is glorified and his kingdom comes, then praise Jesus. We want to see God's church flourish. We want to see the people of God flourish. It's not about competition. It should always be about pointing to Jesus. John, according to the gospel, has been given this ministry of preparation. And he knows it. And he's okay with that. He understands what his role is. And, you know, but if I'm honest, you would imagine that kind of with the rapidity of which his own disciples seem to go and follow Jesus and leave him, you would imagine that there'd be hurt. You'd imagine there'd be pain that actually his entire life, the things he's committed himself to, radically committed and set himself apart to do God's will, that his entire life has been set towards this, and now it seems to be dwindling, and his disciples are going after Jesus. He'd been that voice crying in the wilderness. He'd been the influencer. He'd been a shaper. He'd been a prophet speaking out. He'd drawn massive crowds who came to him and who were wowed by his words and his preaching of repent because the kingdom of God's near. His voice had really, really mattered. And now all of it's beginning to slip away. And Jesus moves front and center. Jesus 
moves to the forefront of the story and John retreats into the shadows. And we see his heart in these beautiful, beautiful words. We all know it, but I get deeply moved by it. He must increase. May I decrease so that he might increase. That's John's heart. I want to decrease so that he increases. It's really easy words to say, but it's a really, really deep, beautiful prayer. Less of me, Lord. More of you. That's what he's praying in that moment. Less of my glory, all for his glory. Less of my ministry, all about his ministry. I find that an incredible prayer, a really challenging prayer, deeply moving prayer. It's a prayer I want to pray. I want all of us to pray that continually as a church. Lord, less of me, more of you. Now, God uses us. He uses our gifts. He uses our our good looks, our charisma, our humor. He uses... Why are you laughing, Mark? (laughs) You know, he uses who we are. Okay, that's good. For those of you that have good looks, humor, and charisma, that's really helpful. Because sometimes he has to use other things. But he uses who we are. But actually, the point of who we are is not to get in the way of who he is. And and our prayer as church be, Lord, we want to be transparent so that people don't get stuck on us. But actually they see Jesus. That's, that's how long is church. That's why we have these values. Because, yeah, we want to be a great church. We want to be a thriving church. We want to be a place of joy and laughter and hope and strength and supernatural encounter and, and energy. And, you know, we want to see the generations joined. Our passion here is for the youngest through to the oldest, for all those that have breath in them to know Jesus and to be used by him for his glory. We want those things to be thriving but we want it because we want Jesus to be discovered. We want people to fall in love with Jesus. We want people to love family and church, but we want them, to, more importantly, to love Jesus. This is not about joining a really nice golf club where everyone's really, really nice and they have lovely, comfy chairs. It's about meeting Jesus and having hearts and lives transformed. That's what we're about, because it's all about Jesus. Less of me, Lord, more of him, more of you. I love that. Later in this passage, um, we hear Jesus' first words. And his first words come in the form of a question. John's gospel is different from the others. What does he ask? It's a question with really big significance. It's a, it's a seemingly kind of a small question, but I think it's much bigger than that. John 1.38. Jesus asks the two disciples who have left John uh, to follow him. He says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? They've been intrigued by Jesus, by what John had said, the Lamb of God. They'd started to follow him. And you notice Jesus turns around and looks at them, bang in the eyes, and asks a question. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What are you seeking is actually a better translation if you go back to the Greek. It's just because I don't think it's just a throw. You guys, you're after something. I don't think it's that. Jesus is asking a really pertinent question. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? That's a really good question for all of us in the room. So the first thing Jesus is saying, and I think it's important that we realize that, in John's Gospel, Jesus' ministry begins not with a mighty word to silence a demon, like in Mark's Gospel, not with a sermon to have gathered on the mountain, like we read about in Matthew, not with a quotation from Isaiah about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and his anointing, like it does in Luke, but it begins with this question in John. 
What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What do you long for? What are you hoping for? What are you looking for? And I think it's a great question that God is asking each of us individually and corporately. And so it's a question really, really worth wrestling with. What are you looking for at the moment? What are you looking for as life? What are we looking for as church, as a community? I think it's important because the answers we begin to give begins to shape our journey to where we're going and also how we get there probably as well. Jesus says, what are you looking for? What do you long for? What do you hope for? What's deep down in the core of your being? It's not a superficial, what do you need right now? It's one of those really disconcerting questions that Jesus kind of looks us in the eye and goes, what are you looking for? And it's not an accusatory question that he'd ask you. I know Paul really, really well. He's become a real good friend and partner in the gospel, not just here at St. Matt's, but across the city. And and Paul's been with Sue, a kind of real mum and dad in the city for 100 years, something like that, getting on for that now. Um, But every now and then, he kind of asks me a question. God uses us to encourage one another. And he does this disconcerting thing. He does that with his head. This is like an owl that's just been dislocated. And he does it because he wants to catch my eye. So he'll, he'll say to me, are you okay, Tim? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And I go, he'll do the... <laughs> to get, get, in my, get in my line of sight. And he'll ask the question again. Are you okay, Tim? And and in a moment, God can undo you, can't he, with those questions when it comes from someone who really loves you and knows you. And he's asking the question because there's that prod from the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus did that with those two disciples. He turned around and looked at them. And he kind of did the, what are you looking for? With a little glint in his eye and with a look of love. Because he wants to get to the core of your being, to draw something out of you, out of me, because his heart is for you to be released and called into what God has you for. You are not an accident. You're not just a quirk of nature. You're not just kind of one of those things that happen. God has a purpose for you, unique purpose that no one else can fulfill. And we can spend our lives running around being busy. Mary was really helpfully talking about this at St. Tom's this morning, brilliantly. We can spend our lives being busy doing good things, nice things. Even kingdom things. But sometimes God gets us in the eye and goes, yeah, but what were you made for? And it's sometimes much more than what we're doing. And God constantly wants to realign us with his will to say, I've got something for you. And I want to use you. I want to know you. And I want you to know me. What are you looking for? I remember years ago, this series we've been doing kind of is his story, my story. When I I grew up in church, many of you here know, uh, all sorts of different kind of churches, church experiences from kind of really traditional, scary Baptist churches with old ladies playing organs and uh, United Reformed churches and kind of Anglican churches where I didn't have a clue what was going on, standing up, sitting down, singing the Magnificat. I still don't know what the Magnificat is, but doing all those sort of things. And kind of crazy uh, singing from the chandelier, kind of charismatic churches. And, and in men, do you know my deepest longing? I love going to church. I believe God was there. But I really wanted to know Jesus. I really wanted to know him, not know about him. My deepest longing was to hear God's voice. 
my deepest, deepest longing was to experience his power. How many of you here would really like to experience God's power? Be really honest. You don't have to put your hand up here, but I want to ask you the question. How many of you here may be a bit, exper- a bit, bit scared of experiencing God's power? A few of you who are very brave. Yeah, I think that's probably true too. But how many of you here who would be really brave, who were scared of experiencing God's power, would really love to meet with God? Yeah, you're all kind of nodding. Because God's power and God's nature go together. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes God's power is really powerful. And if we think about it, the God who created the universe, who flung stars into space, who's able to raise the dead and kind of do outrageous things, touches us, then at times we would expect God's power to be very real and powerful. But it's never distinct from his character. It's never distinct from his kindness, his goodness, his love, his mercy. Sometimes it is very powerful. But God wants to meet with you. And so we don't need to be scared in that way of his power. I longed to know God's power. I longed to know the reality of his presence, but I didn't know what that was like. Many of you have heard me say, I read the Jackie Pullinger book when I was about 13, Chasing the Dragon. And I read these stories of people praying in tongues and being filled with the Holy Spirit. These were people in the kind of um, opium dens in uh, Hong Kong. And, And coming off heroin overnight, going through cold turkey overnight as people prayed over them in tongues. I didn't even know what praying in tongues was. Because like I've been brought up in a Baptist church where, you know, people prayed the Lord's Prayer and that was about it. That's all I knew. So this was kind of revelation. This was kind of exciting and terrifying in equal measure. And at the age of 13, I went into tent in France on a very hot day, embarrassed and said, God, I don't know what the gift of tongues are, but I'd really like them right now. I assumed the position. I didn't know what the position was, but basically involved lying prostrate on my bed, sweating badly in this tent. And you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. Which is kind of what I expected, (laughs) if I'm honest. And then that was it for about six, five, six years or so. I kind of forgot about it. But that longing was still there to know God and experience his power. And then a few years later, I I became a Christian, which probably really helps. Because I'd asked that prayer, Lord, I want to become a Christian. But I didn't know what it was. And I could never get it to stick. You know, I went on these Christian camps. And in the back, they'd always have the little prayer, if you want to become a Christian. You know, Lord, I turn my, I repent of all things I've done wrong. And I give my heart to you, Jesus. And I pray for the Holy Spirit. Fill me with Holy Spirit. Amen. And I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting, hallelujah, you know, across the sky with all the angels kind of bursting into flames in front of me and great, great light to come on me, kind of like in some sort of Star Trek-esque kind of thing. And that never happened. And so I always assumed, well, no, then I'm not sure I've done it right. Perhaps I got the words in the wrong order. I said it a bit quickly or I didn't say it loud enough or I said it too quietly or... It was a frustration because it was real, and yet I then struggled to walk that out. I, I, I wanted to follow this Jesus. I'd read about him, and there had been times that I'd sensed him. I'd been in church services, 
particularly when people are being baptized in the Baptist church as a young boy. I remember just being really moved, being really embarrassed because I was almost crying and thinking, there's something here. At times cycling around the beautiful countryside and, and sensing in creation something awesome beyond myself. And my heart was constantly getting pulled, a bit like John the Baptist going, there's the Lamb of God. And I'm going, where, where, where? I can sense him. I've lost him. Where's he gone? It's on this hunt for God, longing for him, but could never seem to nail him down. But God's kind and gracious, and God was drawing me on a journey deeper into him. You know, it would have been easy to be satisfied at that point, to go, well, I go to church, and I kind of read the Bible occasionally, and I've prayed the prayer, so I'm probably all right, aren't I? I guess that was where my life was at for many years, through my kind of later teenage years. I, I thought I'd done it, whatever it was, and I, was, I would have called myself a Christian. I would have, yeah, very much so. And I'm not necessarily saying even that I wasn't. I was trying to follow Jesus, but he was always out somewhere ahead of me and I'd lost him and couldn't get close to him. Because what I wanted was not religion. What I wanted to do was walk with a friend who I sensed was with me. And then, then at the age of 17, what's that, about uh, three or four years ago now, I remember being on this camp and I was, went to this camp longing to meet with Jesus and longing to kind of be there and know him. And he found me and took me apart from the inside out. And I experienced the reality of his love in a way that I never had before. And that was deeply transforming for me. And I think since that moment, I have never doubted the reality of God's love and presence. I discovered that while I was looking for Jesus, he was always looking for me. And I needed to encounter him. And I needed the Holy Spirit to help me on it through that encounter to, to know him. God is looking for you. And there's always more of him to reveal. That was the beginning of a journey of me encountering him and knowing his love, knowing his presence. What are you looking for? See, God's kind. Probably about a year or so after that time, when I, or six months after that time, I'd really encountered him. I was lying alone, as many of you will have heard me say, lying alone in my bed at night. <clears throat> I'd been on a kind of church weekend, having become a kind of Christian and really knowing that I was wanting to follow him and give my life to Jesus. And I remember as a young bloke lying in bed going, Lord, I really love you. Lord, you're great. You're amazing. You're really amazingly great. My vocabulary as a kind of 18-year-old lad wasn't massive. Lord, you're brilliantly amazingly great and amazing. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of wanted to praise God. I wanted to pray. I wanted to thank him for his... I was deeply moved, but I didn't have the words. And as I lay there, eventually shutting up, being even bored of myself saying, God, you're amazing. It was like someone plugged my fingers into the socket and suddenly I felt this power flow through me and out of my mouth came these words, this new language, like electricity. And I'm lying on my bed listening to myself do this going, oh, that must be the, it was the most bizarre thing. That must be tongues. Wow, they sound really amazing. Gosh, look what my mouth's doing. I'm really glad no one's looking at me right now because I think they'd lock me up. And thinking, this is incredible. And I remember, still now, just like it's yesterday, <clears throat> sneaking downstairs after my parents had gone to bed for the next five or six days, going, <laughs> just to see if I could still do this thing. It was like someone had given me a toy and I was so excited. I, I knew nothing. 
I started reading the Bible, and then I suddenly realized there was loads in there about the gifts of the Spirit in tongues. It was a revelation to me. But, you know, God had shown me his power, but not in some abstract way. He had shown me his presence, his love, his comfort, his friendship, and his kindness, so that I understood that actually it wasn't the gifts I was after, but it was Jesus I was after. And having met this glorious Jesus, having met the Father who loved me, he wants to introduce me to the reality of the Holy Spirit who wants to bring his gifts and his presence and his power. What are you looking for right now? What do you really need, Jesus would say to you? Why, where are you hungry? Jesus poses this question to those two disciples. They've learned, they've just heard that Jesus is the Lamb of God and they're determined to follow him. And crowds have been following Jesus for all sorts of reasons. We know that, haven't we? We, we, we find out later on in John, some people follow him because they're hungry and they want him to fill their bellies with more bread. We know the religious authorities are following Jesus because they're trying to catch him out. They're trying to kind of find a way to kill him. But these two disciples, they want something different. They just simply want to be where he is. And so when he says, what do you want? It's like they all, they, they're kind of, their answer's a bit weird, really. Uh, where are you staying? I don't think they're kind of doing a kind of like, do you know any good Airbnbs around here? I, I would love to know where you're staying and find out if it's four star. It's almost like they blurt it out. Jesus says, what are you looking for? And they go, uh, where are you staying? And I don't think they're even trying to kind of make polite conversation. What they're doing is, Jesus, we want to know where you are because we want to be there too. We want to go wherever it is you are. We want to go and be with you. We want to stay by you. Where are you staying? They want to be with them. They want to be in a place of permanence, enduring, lasting, with the dwelling place of the Lamb of God. Where can we find you, Jesus? Where can we stay and be near you? Where can we go to receive whatever, whatever it is you have to offer? Where can we be in the very presence of God? We're spoiled now for anything else. And if you taste the presence of God, as some of us have here, many of us perhaps have, in the, the presence and the glory of God, as sometimes I have, so much so that you almost don't breathe because you feel the weight of God's glory and his holiness and his love and his might and his power. I remember being in meetings, and others will have been here, where God's presence is so thick, you almost don't breathe because it feels like you're standing on holy ground. Have you ever felt that in worship? or in prayer, when someone's praying for you, and you must hold your breath. I understand it, why those disciples, when, when the transfiguration happens, and they're like, Lord, can we build a tent here? <laughs> you think, what? What are they talking about? Well, what they're saying is, we don't want to go. This is so amazing. We want to stay in this glory. That's what they're saying. They're hungry for that. And I'm hungry for that. And I'm so sad at myself that sometimes I take myself out of that because I and you are made to dwell in his glory. You and me are not made to have busy lives, to have lives that are okay. You and me are not made to have lives that are just filled with stuff. You and me are not made to do church services. Some of you here, I can get a big amen for that. You are not made to just hang out in places like this, as wonderful as this might be. You are made to dwell in the glory of God. And let me tell you, you're going to be doing it for eternity. 
But it's not just about the future. He wants for you to experience some of that now. He wants to show you his presence. Come and see is Jesus' response. Where are you staying, they say. And what does he say? He says, come. It's an invitation. And to you and me tonight, we've got exactly that same invitation. Jesus, where are you? We're really hungry for you, for your presence, for your glory, for your power. Jesus says, great. You don't need to go and do loads of theology. You don't need to go and listen to some brilliant podcasts. You you don't need to go and read some great books. You can do those things and they might be helpful. But the best thing you can do, the precious thing you can do is just simply follow. Follow him wherever he might take you. Come and see. That's the message of John's gospel. Come and see. If you want to know the eternal one from before the beginning of creation, come and see. If you want to know the word made flesh, come and see. If you want to know God with skin on in your, in your life, come and see. If you want to know what real love is, come and see. If you want to experience God's glory, to be filled with bread that never perishes, to quench your thirst with living water that will never run out, if you want to be born again, if you want to abide and rest in love, if you want to behold the light of the world, if you want to experience him as the way, the truth, and the life entirely in everything in your body, if you want to be baptized with fire, if you want to enter into life everlasting, if you want to know God, come and see, says Jesus. Come, come to me. That's the message. That's the message of the gospel. It's all about his presence. And you know what? Moses knew that right back in the Old Testament. We heard it in his words. If your presence doesn't go with us, then we're really screwed, he says. It's the kind of message translation. Because he knows it's everything. If your presence doesn't go with us, then what else is there? We're just left doing services. We're just left singing songs. We're just left doing a bit of Bible study. But if his presence goes with us and we worship in his glory... If we read his word and his presence is with us, then his word comes alive. If we're in his presence together as family and his glory comes, then our hearts get transformed, we get filled, we get equipped and sent like John the Baptist into the world to proclaim his goodness. It's his presence. It's all about encounter. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. So you can see glory. I think we're supposed to see it. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So his glory can be seen and it can be known. And it comes with his presence. Moses said to him, If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you, know you by name. So Moses said, Lord, it's all about your presence. Show us your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. That's God's presence. It's his goodness. It's his kindness. It's his love. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And it's his power. So I want to pray for us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
That's you and my purpose to be transformed by his glory, by his presence. But I'd suggest it only comes if we really set our hearts on heaven and we don't just get busy or kind of come to church and think, oh, that's it. And then day by day, God wants us to encounter his presence. And I know I need it every day. And for some of us, that will look different. You know, in our quiet times, for some of you here, you love just worship. For some of you, you love reading the word. But we need to be a people of prayer and we need to give Jesus space so that when we hear him or see him, our response is, I want to go. I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I'm going to pray for us. And uh, Paul, will you come stand with me, my friend? Paul's had a haircut so he can run faster. When we were worshipping earlier, um, I just mentioned to Bex there, we sang a song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And I sensed his presence over us as we sang it. Like We could just tip in to a greater encounter with his presence in in that beautiful song. And there's just moments like that. and, And whether we sing that again or not, I feel like he really really is very present over us in what Tim's been sharing. So I want to encourage you, lean in to the Holy Spirit, whatever we do now, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll meet with him. And um, God's kind. He meets us where we're at. We're all in different places tonight. And, you know, maybe some of us are thinking, oh, I need to head home. And that's cool. Jesus says there's always more, there's always more grace, there's always more power, there's always more hope, there's always more strength, there's always more love, never fails, goes on and on and on. He draws us with his call to loving kindness. And I I don't don't want to do like an altar call to the front tonight, but I just sense there's some people who, when Jesus says to you, what are you looking for? There's a, there's a question in you. There's an answer right there that bubbles up. And sometimes actually articulating that in our mind with God physically is a helpful thing. So I'm not going to get you to come and share it. But if, if you've got a real need, a longing, it might be from a touch for heaven. It might be more of his Holy Spirit. It might be just, I need to yield my life to Jesus again right now in a way that perhaps I haven't before or I haven't for a while. It might be that you need a touch of healing and you just like, Lord, I really need you to break into this area of my life. Maybe it might be to do with a career or a difficulty in the workplace or a relationship challenge. And when Jesus kind of puts his head on one side and says, what do you need right now? What are you looking for? That disconcerting question stirs something in the pit of your stomach and you know what your answer to his question is. Just a few of us would love to pray with you. We're not going to do it in a really big way. But I would encourage you, if that's you, might just be one person. If that's you, why don't you be super brave and stand right now where you are. We're all going to be standing in a minute in worship. But I'd love to, just a few of us on the ministry team, would love to just come and pray with you. We're not going to ask you what it is. We're not going to say anything unless you want to. But we're just going to lay a hand on you and pray for God's presence 
and the presence of Jesus to come. So if that's you and you want to be super brave, everyone, I suggest you, let's all close our eyes. And if that's you, why don't you stand? No one's going to be looking at you because everyone's got their eyes closed. Brilliant. If there's anyone else, why don't you stand with these guys? Brilliant. Thank you, you lot. If there's anyone else, it's never too late. So, you know, as we're going to start going around and praying, and uh, if I can ask ministry team people, Life Hub leaders to go, and those who are able to in the church, willing to go and pray with these guys, why don't you just kind of move amongst them and just start inviting God's presence? We're going to just pray very gently. And if, as you feel your kind of need to stand as well, you can do that. We're not going to make a big deal of it. We're just going to pray. So Holy Spirit, for all these people who are standing, for a whole host of reasons, and maybe some who wish they could stand, but just feel a bit inhibited right now. Lord, we ask your presence, your favor, your love, your kindness, your glory to fill. Would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome you. We thank you that you're here because you love us. We thank you that you're here because you know us. You know the number of hairs on our head, whether they're many or few. Lord, you know our names, you know our history, and you know our future. Lord, every day for us is ordained in your book of life is written down for us, Lord. And so, Jesus, would you come with your mercy and your grace, and would you brood over us, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Come and bring release. Come and bring joy. Come and bring hope. Fruit to your spirit. Gifts to your spirit. We say, have your way. Breathe on us. Breathe on us. Jesus, as you breathe on those disciples in the upper room in their place of fear and uncertainty and confusion and doubt and unbelief, you just, you just loved them and you just breathed on them. So breathe on us.